We're going to continue in our series. It's called King, uh, Jesus is King or the King is Coming. Um, and it's this idea that we think about Jesus in a lot of ways in our lives. But we don't often think of Jesus as King, you know, as ruler or an authority. I was surprised in, in looking into the history of our own nation that we almost had King George here. And I don't mean the one in England. I mean after the, the war, there were people who wanted to make George Washington king. And uh, he refused that. He wouldn't be king. So he makes it on the $1 bill now instead, right? Um, closest thing we've probably ever had to a king in our country, you know. And, and so I think it's a foreign concept for us to understand what it means to serve a king. But the Bible is clear. When it says Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so with this series, we're talking about knowing Jesus as King in our life, as knowing Him as sovereign, the word says. That means ruler, final authority. The first idea in the morning and the last idea at night. The word says it's the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on it says that word was made flesh in Jesus. That means it's more than just a, a get out of hell card when you meet Jesus. It's more than just a, a, a good idea. It's more than just a better way to live your life. It means he, he is your sovereign king. And as we come to Christmas, these three, four weeks leading up to, to Christmas uh, Eve and Christmas Day, you know, that's our hope is that we would come to him this year, not as the cute baby in the manger he is, but a, a, and helpless and, and kind of forgotten, but as king, our king is born. Hope that's true in your life. I hope in your life you are bending your knee to King Jesus. So that's the goal of the series, that we would kind of come in that way. Last week, we talked about how this means that he rules and he reigns in our life. And I want to share a quick video with you this morning that kind of illustrates maybe some of how we do that. We talked last week about the throne in our life and, and that, that it's Jesus' rightful place as ruler of our lives. As, we, if, as believers in Jesus, we can choose to not let him sit in the throne seat. Even as believers, we can choose. That's what this video talks about, so check it out. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, <laughs> guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. <laughs> oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, oh. So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. 
Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. So for, I don't know that's how it is for you. That's how it is for me a lot of times. I go like, yeah, Jesus, you're king, you're Lord. And then we kind of wrestle him for that seat of authority. You know, as I prepared this week, um, prepared this week, I kept thinking about how, how um, all the ways that, that I'm not obedient. Isn't that amazing? That God clearly says to do something, and then we just willfully disobey. <laughs> I want to share with you as we get in this morning, we start beginning to get in the word a little bit, I want to share to you that this, what we find in King Jesus this week, it's the, the, uh, the focus of the week is, is called the King is Alive, Jesus is Alive, and something that we almost say so verbatim, but this is a big deal, it changes everything, that, that this, the throne city takes our life, there's a living, active role, our God isn't dead. I want to read to you from 1 Peter here this morning as we begin to worship, and this, this is what it says. Praise be, it's 1 Peter 3 if you want to know, but just listen to it today. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter writes. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to read that again. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, or never fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is already revealed in the last time. Is ready to be revealed in the last time. I want to enter into uh, this conversation today about the resurrection of Jesus. We talked last week about how he is going to return and ask for an account for what we have done with what he's invested. And this week, we're going to talk about this cross of Jesus. And I'm so, you know, blessed. We're so blessed to have had someone build this for us. Um, And we're going to keep it. We haven't had one. I don't know if we've ever had one here, but we haven't had one. And I think it's important that we talk about this cross today and and some of why why this is our symbol for who we are as believers and followers of Jesus. So as we continue today, I'm going to ask that you would do what I always do when we enter into the Word of God. I'm going to ask that you would join me in prayer, and we're going to kind of roll through some truths of Jesus' resurrection and learn what it means to be risen with Him. So if you join me in prayer today. Father God, we come into your house. We are so blessed to be near you. And we know absolutely this is a gift of your Holy Spirit to even know you, to even hear you, to even respond in any way is a gift you've given us. And so today, Father, we come with joyful hearts that are just overwhelmed that you would reveal yourself to us and open minds that you could teach us the truth of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would soften those callous places of our lives where we're just so hurt and so angry that we can't even see straight. 
we pray that you would cut right in there, Father. Lay us bare that we might be born again in Jesus' name. We pray these prayers by the mighty name of Jesus and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to dig into the word today, and, and I want to talk about the, the cross of Christ. Now, the cross is something that you see everywhere, um, everywhere. You can see a cross, uh, almost anywhere you look these days, and it may mean something, it may not mean anything, but I want to talk a little about the cross that we have and why we have this. Um, one time, whenever I was a young man, I was playing softball. I may have told the story before. I apologize if I have, but I was wearing a cross, and it had Jesus on it. And a friend of mine got really offended by that. And he says, that cross is, you know, heresy. And I'm like, what? And he's like, because Jesus isn't on the cross, you know, because he had this doctrine of resurrection, which is true. And we can't forget that. And that in the resurrection of Jesus, this empty cross, there's a proclamation about who God is and how God works in our lives. And so we have an empty cross before us, and that's usually the way we see the cross. Because Jesus didn't hang there forever he was raised from the dead. And so today I want to talk about that a little bit. And we're going to work through scripture. Um, we're going to work through quite a bit of scripture today. So I pray you would bear with me. And I'm just going to get right into it. But the first thing I want to talk to about with you today is the history of, of the resurrection, right? And the history of the resurrection. The Bible is many things. And one of the things it does is it records the past. It records, it captures, it was an attempt to write down the things that happened during the time of Jesus. And you'll hear a lot about oral tradition, and there were oral traditions, but there was this desire to record the oral traditions, and then there was the whole thing about how the Bible was kind of established, and we can talk about that. But this morning, I want you to understand that the Bible is an authority, is the authority on the history of Jesus, and it is confirmed by other histories that are not inspired like the Word of God is. But I want to share with you from the Word of God today. So I'm going to ask if you would turn in your Bibles. If you didn't bring one this morning, grab one of ours off the chairs or at the end of the rows. They've got clouds and grass on them and stuff. Grab one of those. 734 in those Bibles, Luke 24. You've heard this story before. I almost guarantee it. I just want to read it with you today um, so we can hear the Word of God together. And then uh, we're going to continue. But I want to just kind of hear the history of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to go kind of quickly here, but just listen to this story again for the risen King Jesus. It says this, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were wondering about this, Suddenly two, men, uh, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But those men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Listen, be crucified, and on the third day be risen, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So this is a story, the, the very brief, succinct story of the resurrection of Jesus. And I know, I don't know for you, this is the time of year that's odd to think about that, because we usually do that at Easter, and it's true. But I want us to understand as we come to the crib of Jesus, to his birthplace, that this is the king who was raised from the dead. 
the, in this text, I don't know if you remember last week, whenever the men in Acts 1 were standing there and they watched Jesus ascend back to the heavens and, and the men, there were two men in what? White clothes, gleaming clothes standing next to them and said, why do you stare into the sky? I want you to see that here in the same way, when the women went to the tomb, they found two men there in white gleaming clothes, like lightning, the word says, standing beside them. And the same thing happened. They, they answered some questions. Why do you look here? Jesus has been raised and then talks about how Jesus told his disciples that he would be raised from the dead. Now, talking about the history here, a little bit of the resurrection, this became the key um, claim of the believers in Jesus, that he was risen from the dead, that he was walking among men. You'll remember the story about Thomas, a disciple who said, I won't believe it until I put my hands in his side and my fingers in his hands, Right? And we call him Doubting Thomas. But Jesus shows up to Doubting Thomas and says, here I am. And he puts his hand in his side and his fingers. And he says, you're the Lord. You're sovereign. You're king. One of the easiest things at the time of the writing of Scripture, the time of the, even the oral traditions of Scripture, would have been for someone to say, that's not true. Here's his tomb. Here's his body. Here's his grave but we don't hear that in recorded history. And it wasn't for lack of trying. There was plenty who would like to have seen Christianity just die. But God didn't let that happen. Jesus was raised from the dead. You can look into this on your own, and I would invite you if you're kind of like, man, I, I get the whole Jesus thing, I get the better teacher thing, but he, the resurrection, really? He was physically raised from the dead? He really walked around? Read scripture, Read other texts about it. It's a historical fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. This is a big deal. We're going to talk about that, why it's a big deal later on. But I want you to kind of grapple with that reality, with all the discomfort that you might have with that. Really? Raised from the dead? Yeah, to the point that he showed up and said, look, here I am. He sat down and ate with them. It wasn't like a mirage. He showed up, the word says, to 500 people over 40 days before he went back to be with the Father. Same God who is raised from the dead is the King of kings and Lord of lords who return. This is our sovereign, our master. And we have to understand that truth about Jesus. Why is the resurrection a big deal? What has this got to do with being a king anyway? The, the question of resurrection is a question of power. There is something that's being claimed in Jesus' resurrection that no one else can claim. No one else can claim. Even today, I'm amazed as we talk about, you know, living longer and being healthier. And I was watching this really intriguing show about how they're realizing that death isn't a point, but a process, right? They're realizing there's this way you can slow down death and you can kind of, you know, we hear about people being brought back from death and things like that. And even still with all of those things and modern technology and slowing things down and all that, we have a testimony in scripture of three days dead, right? We have another story of four days dead in scripture, as a matter of fact. And, and all these things are affirmed because the question is a question of power. Who controls life and death? You know, in our culture, one of the most egregious sins, or we'll call it like a lawbreaker, one of the most egregious felons would be someone who would kill someone else, right? 
I mean, why is that a big issue for us? Why do we say lock them up and throw away the key? Why is there one thing, if there's one thing that's going to really terrify us, you know, talk about terror these days, why is the one thing that really terrifies us that someone could what? Steal our life. You have a gun in your house for protection? Why is that? Because there's a fear of the power of taking someone's life. I was talking one time to an executive who had, there was an armed robbery in his neighborhood and he was a very, very wealthy man. Very wealthy man. And this had rattled him to the core. And he stood in the corner office of the company that I worked for and he was just shaken. And he was talking to me about the fear for his family. Why? Because some, he, was, he said, some hood from the streets could come and steal them from me. The issue of life and death is a power issue. It's a big deal. And the significance of the resurrection demonstrates that as well. I want to read something with you. If you would turn with me to the Gospel of John, which is going to be to the right in your Bibles. Um, after Luke comes John. John uh, 19, 5 through 11. Go ahead and turn there if you would. This is a story about just before the death of Jesus, but I want to see kind of some of the struggles and dynamics going on. Again, I'm just going to read this to you this morning. I just want you to hear the story. So listen with me if you would, starting in verse 5. We could start at verse 1, but I'm going to start at verse 5. You can back read if you want to there and read all around it. Scripture kind of has a way of growing that way. If you want to hear the whole story, read the whole Bible. This is what it says. When Jesus came out, he had been, he'd been arrested, beaten, flogged, and, and dressed. You'll hear about that. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate, this is the guy who was kind of ruling over Jesus, said to them, that's the accusers, here is the man. I want you to see the power issue happening here. Jesus comes out. He's been beaten. He has this mocking robe, this mocking crown of authority. And this man, Pilate, who has all the power of the state, says, here's the guy. Here's the man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw Jesus, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for charge against him. And the Jews there insisted, we have a law, and according to the law, he must die. Why? Because he claimed he is the son of God. And they believed that he was offending Yahweh, the God of all creation, by claiming to be a son. So Pilate heard this. He was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace, and he brought Jesus with him. Now listen to what he says. Pilate says this, where do you come from, he asked Jesus, and Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate asked. Listen, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? You see what's happening here? He's saying, Jesus, don't you understand that I own you? I decide if you live or die. Listen to what Jesus says. He breaks the silence and Jesus answers this way. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Have you ever heard of a showdown at the OK Corral? You know what I mean? I want you to see the image here of the mocked, the scorned Jesus, who stands silent before his accusers. And whenever this man who says, don't you know who I am? Jesus just says, you would have no authority if it weren't being given to you. 
You see, the resurrection of Jesus is a claim to power over life and death. This is a big deal. This is why it was so offensive to so many who heard it. And if they could disprove this power, they would have. If anyone could have refuted it in the days of the disciples of Jesus because they were on fire for God and they were proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And if anyone could have just put that fire out, they would have. Because it's a claim to power and authority and majesty and rule. This is King Jesus. In this resurrection, I, I believe, you know, there was a, N.T. Wright's a great scholar and he's written on this very topic, but he says there's no greater moment in history, there's no greater moment in history than the moment of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because everything changed for everybody. The truth that we still live in today is that our world is changed forever because of the power that God demonstrated in Jesus over life and death. Now, I want to share with you three significant changes in our world because of the resurrection of Jesus, right? I, want to, I kind of talked to you about the history and, the, and the, the why it's a big deal that he's raised from the dead, physically raised from the dead. But I want to read with you uh, some scripture that will explain to us three significant changes. There's more. There's like more than three. But I just want to kind of talk about three things that we can think about as we come into Christmas and celebrating the birth of our king that the resurrection means for Jesus. And the first is this. The first thing is that it established Jesus as king. His resurrection from the grave established him as king. Now I want to have you turn with me to the book of Hebrews. It's again going to be to the right a little bit. Uh, Hebrews 7, it's going to be on 832 of your Bible. If you use one of ours, I mean. Um, and give me just a minute to get there myself. If I can find it. Here we go. Um, so Hebrews chapter 7. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to touch verse 1 because I want to hear what, you know, this kind of, this, Hebrews is a great book, but it's very deep. But I just want to kind of hear what Hebrews professes about Jesus, King Jesus. And this is what it says. Uh, in verse 1 it says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem, the priest of God most high. And he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. Now, you don't have to know much about that except to know that Abraham was the man called by God. And after he had had these victories, he was walking across and he, he ran into this guy named King Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest, and he gave him an offering because he was of the God Most High. And it's, a, and, and it's in the uh, First Testament, it's a, it's a narrative, you can read it, the history of that. But I want to jump ahead to verse 14 here, and I want you to hear what Hebrews tells us, the book of Hebrews, about um, Jesus in this role. Listen to what the word says. For it is clear that our Lord, that's Jesus, descended from Judah. This is a historical lineage, a birthright of Jesus. And in regard to the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, because there was no priest coming from Judah, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Right? Even that sentence can get heavy. But I want you to hear that. That he is king, he is priest in the order of Melchizedek based on an indestructible life. This Melchizedek guy was kind of unknown. No beginning and no end. And he says, this Jesus, Jesus is the same 
type of king and prince. He has an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, because the law had made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And that's this king authority of Jesus. And so here, the the word is explaining this truth that in the resurrection, in this claim of power over life and death, he is proving not just his priesthood, like that he's the atoning sacrifice, but his kingship, his lordship, his rule in our lives. And so this affirms or establishes Jesus as king. Now I want to jump ahead a little bit here in Hebrews. I hope you're still there. And I'm going to pick up in verse um, 7. I just want to read through. We'll we'll continue in 18 and read... um, We'll just pick up again in 20. I just want to read this to you right quick, and then we'll uh, go on to the next point here. But in verse 20, it says, It was not without an oath, this new king, Jesus. Others became priests without any oath at all, but he became priests with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This is an Old Testament reference. Because of his oath, Jesus has come to guarantee a better covenant. That's a better promise for you and for me. Now there have been many of those priests since, uh, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. Listen to verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. See, he's making a claim about this ongoing life of Jesus. The risen Christ right now is interceding and saving you completely. Listen to what it says in verse 26. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day because his own for his own sins and then the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. This is Jesus, our King. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, the Son of God, who has been made perfect forever. In the cross of Jesus and in his resurrection from the dead, there, you know, we could just say that. You know, we could say, well, it'd be obvious if someone came back from the dead. You know, I mean, this, this guy's got some authority. But here they're talking about how in all the history of Judaism, this has been told about the one who would come and who would sit and who would be indestructible life, who would have life after death. And in this place, Jesus fulfills that role uniquely. He is our high priest and our sovereign king established by the resurrection from the dead. All right, so that's the first thing is that Jesus is established as king in our lives. That means that's just the truth we have to deal with. Now, the second thing is this. It transformed his disciples. This kind of gets into the history a little bit of the resurrection as well. But it transformed his disciples, those who were with him. You'll remember the story of Jesus is like this. Uh, Luke records the birth narrative, and we'll be talking about that. But the other gospels record the ministry of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the story. That's the crux of his story. And there were these folks who hung out with him for about three years and they were seeing the miracles he was doing. They were falling around and they were just amazed by him, constantly amazed. But to be honest with you, none of them got it. 
None of them got it. And you can tell this because even after he died on the cross, they didn't understand. I want to remind you of the story of a guy named Simon Peter. Simon Peter denied Jesus three times. Simon Peter was the guy that Jesus called out of a fishing boat and he left everything to follow Jesus, right? Simon Peter's the one that said, they will never kill you because they'll have to kill me first. And at the cross of Christ, Peter said, I don't even know him. There's a story in the Bible of, of someone who says, yeah, you were with him. You, that's the guy. You were with that guy, the guy that they're going to kill. And Peter said, no, you got the wrong dude. Denied his sovereign master. I'll tell you something else. Peter didn't even change his tune. Not until after he met the risen Christ. Whoa. I want to share you a story about the transformation of Peter. The disciples of Jesus were scattered. They were afraid. They were terrified of what was going on. And then they met the resurrected Christ. And I want to talk about transformation here. Look, at me, uh, look with me, if you would, in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is recorded as the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Apostles, those who are sent by Jesus into the world, right? The end of... Um, Matthew, it says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? So these guys were sent out uh, in Acts 4. By the way, Acts is the second part of the, book, the Gospel of Luke. So if you wanted to read those kind of in order, you could read the Gospel of Luke, which is kind of a history. And then you can read the book of Acts, which is a history of the Acts of the Church or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But this is what it says. I want you to hear this now. This is the Peter, the guy who was kind of sniveling and saying, I don't know him, and, and who was terrified, even after spending a lot of time with him. And this is what the word records then about Peter in chapter 4, verse 8. Hear it with me. This is beautiful, right? This is what life looks like when you meet Jesus raised from the dead. It says, then Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, he's before the Sanhedrin here, right? These are the rulers. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called on account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple there uh, and are asked how he was healed, then know this truth. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Huh? Peter, the guy who says, I don't even know who he is. His life is transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to read on. It says, he is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become now the capstone of the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, Peter said, for there is no other name under heaven given by men which mu they must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter <laughs> and the courage of John, and they realized that they were unschooled men, Ordinary men, they were astounded and they took note of these men and that they had been with Jesus. But since they could see the healed man standing there, they couldn't say anything against them. They were afraid of the people. I mean, this is Peter standing before the kingdom. And I, I'll let you read the rest of that if you want to. I encourage you to read the rest of that story because this is what happens. You know what they tell these guys? They go, man, if we beat these guys, the people are going to hate us because they're healing people in the name of Jesus. And so they say, go out and stop preaching. I want you to get that. They told Peter, Simon Peter, the denier, to stop preaching. How hard would that be? Peter's in trouble. He could be like, done. <laughs> My bad. No way, man. He's following the risen Christ. He knows that he's sovereign Lord, king, ruler over life and death, and he will not be stopped. I want you to see that actually in verse 23, it says, on their release, they went out and they prayed a prayer to God. 
I want to read the prayer. The prayer goes like this. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, the one that you anointed They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants, listen, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and reveal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And the word of God records it after they prayed this prayer for boldness that the foundations of the room were shaken. That's life-changing stuff. The resurrection of Jesus. I heard someone say that if you don't have a boldness, and I, you know what, man, I, I'm a mess, and we're, we're, none of us have got this together, but I want to say that if there's areas you need boldness, we can just ask God for that. We need to meet the Jesus who is raised from the dead to be bold for him because this is a truth that will change everything, and it will put us on mission, and, and it will refine our purpose, and it will refine our call, and it will just challenge us to pursue him with vigor because he is alive and he is ruling in our life. Jesus isn't in the business of making us comfortable or making us okay or making us safe. He's in the business of changing our lives completely, relentlessly. He's the risen Lord. So that's the second thing I want to share with you is that uh, the, the lives of the disciples are completely transformed. That if people, who, you know, people want to argue against the histori- historic, historical truth of the resurrection, look at the transformation in people who are with him. It makes no sense. Unless you understand that they met Jesus raised. The third thing is this. Third thing is this. It established the model for discipleship. It established a model for the servants to follow. And I'm going to read one more scripture with you. Actually, two more, to be very honest. But I want to share this with you as well. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up here. But this is, Jesus isn't the first resurrection recorded in scripture, Right? I mean, there's a few resurrections, there's a few resurrections after Jesus as well, people who were brought back from the dead, but nothing like where he's in the tomb, except for one. And it's recorded in the Gospel of John. And I just want you to hear it because I think this is such an instructive piece of uh, uh, truth for us in our lives, right? How can we apply this truth that, you know, we want to be transformed, we want to be on mission, we want to do what we're called to do by God. And I believe that this um, model for discipleship is as true today as it was when Jesus uh, in, you know, implemented it or de- demonstrated it uh, in John chapter 11. So turn there with me, if you would, to John chapter 11. And this is what the word records. You've heard the story before as well, probably, but I want you to kind of hear it now in context of the resurrection of Jesus and of what the work that Jesus is doing in our midst right now, here, Family Bible Church, here, Highland, here, you know, our country, here, our world, the work he is doing and setting captives free. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. That was the tomb of Lazarus, right? His, his, he was just heartbroken. Uh, it was a cave, and a stone was laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Martha said, you know, Lord, it's a bad idea. He's been here four days, and, and it's going to be awful in there. Um, 
because of him decomposing and stuff. She was very practical about this. But Jesus said, did I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so he took away the stone. They took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew always that you hear me. But I say this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that I was sent by you. And this is the point I want you to hear, that Jesus stood at the mouth of the cave of the burial place of Lazarus, his friend. And he said these words. He said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He commanded life from death. This is before he died on the cross. He commanded life from death. And it says here that the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen, and the cloth was wrapped around his face. Now I want you to see the image here. Right? He's raised, he's new. It's a miracle. And this is Jesus' instructions to those. This is funny, right? Jesus says to them, who? Disciples, friends, loved ones, bystanders, witnesses, those who saw the miracle. This is his command. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. I want to tell you, that we are living right now in a time that Jesus is interceding on behalf of those he is completely saving. And he is calling them from dead tombs all around us in our lives. And the word of God says that when Jesus commands them to come out of the tomb, he tells us as his disciples, as those who are following him, the command that we are to obey is to unbind the death clothes and let them be free. We don't do a good job of this. I, I read somewhere this week that someone said, it's not the job of the church to make people feel the guilt of their sin. The Holy Spirit does that all by himself. You know the sin burden you're under. You know the failures that you have. You know your past. And Jesus stands and says, come out. Be alive. And then he tells all of us who are witnesses, just unbind them and let them go. This is the model for discipleship, the model implemented by Jesus. I say this because I know you might say, well, this is before he died, but listen, he is raised from the dead. And if you don't think he's still standing outside of our lives and calling us out into his righteousness, his holiness, his kingdom, and his new life, you're sadly mistaken. And so what's our part? We just let people be free. Praise God. Unbinding our death clothes. I'm wondering today, who is it in your life that you need to let free? Who is it that, that you go, man, I can't. And Jesus said, I died for them too. I'm praying for them too. You see, the truth is that we, we, we can't unbind ourselves. <laughs> Isn't that funny? The work of the church. The work of those that Jesus left behind is to unbind grave clothes from each other because we'll be bound forever. Raised but bound. What a tragedy. I don't know where you are today, but I pray that you know the freedom of Jesus and then I pray for those of us who know it, who've tasted it, 
who know him, that we would be about our mission of setting captives free. Join me in prayer if you would. Father God, today we've come into your house, the resurrection house, the place where we proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Not only that he came to earth, not only that he went willingly to the cross and paid for our sins, but he was raised from the dead. And that as surely, Father, as he was raised from the dead, he will call us forth into new life. Today, Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd be compelled to come out of those dark areas and into the light, compelled toward life. May you be glorified. And Father, if that today is a step of like a, just an inch, we praise you for it. If, it's a, if just we could turn towards you, we praise you for it. We want new life. And we know the only place we find it is in Jesus. Thank you today, Father, for that. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. And may we be those who are pursuing you. We love you and thank you so much for leading us. We pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. I told you I was going to read two more scriptures, but I'm, I'm not. This is what I'm going to read. I just want to say to you, if you want to read, I would encourage you to go and read 1 Peter 1, 3, and kind of continue through verse 9. It's very powerful stuff about what we have in Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord. But the family challenge this week is that, that if, if you um, know someone, that you would encourage new life. It does not take much to quench the fire of God in someone's life. And we shouldn't even be in that business, though. And so the family challenge for you and for me is that this week we'd find ways to encourage new life when we see it. Just, just praise God for it and bless it. So we're going to respond now in a time of worship. Um, you can respond how you feel led. If you want to stand and sing, you can. If you feel like you need to sit with God for a little bit, you can sit with God for a little bit. Um, know that we're praying for you, and uh, we invite you now to respond to Jesus today and his offer to you of salvation and eternal life.